why this morning we will be in uh, the book of Romans once again, Romans chapter 6, starting a new chapter today. Um, and just as a review, um, we learned that in chapter 1, we learned that pagans are all sinners and they're separated from God. And in chapter 2, we learned that the Jews are all sinners separated from God. In chapter 3, the first part of it, we learned that everybody are sinners separated from God. And we learned that sin is a barrier that separates us from God. Then in the latter part of chapter 3, we learned that God justifies sinners by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And we call this act of God salvation for the believer. Then in chapter 4, Paul kind of logically moves us on and then he examines what faith is. And he talked about the faith of Abraham and the faith of David. And we saw that, we looked at that verse in Roman, or Genesis where it talks about the seed of Abraham. And part of that seed was his faith. And we also know that that seed was also the line that Jesus would come through. But in Hebrews 11, it talks about that seed of faith. Chapter 2 of Romans says, you're not a Jew out outwardly, but one that's a Jew inwardly. And that's people who exhibit faith in Christ. Then in chapter 5, we learn that uh, justified sinners as marks of assurance. And we saw those assurances were peace with God, we're standing in grace, and there's like five or six other things in that chapter that we looked at that a believer could use for assurance to salvation. And it's very important that in the last part of that chapter, we learned that um, there's a federal headship in Adam. And there's a federal headship in the second Adam of Jesus Christ. And, and the federal headship just means one that represents many. For example, we uh, voted this week on some some congressmen, and that's just a federal head. I mean, you know, we all vote on who we want to go to Congress to represent us. So we vote for a person and and elect that person to that office, and they represent all of us in their district. We see it in our families that usually the father represents the family or the parents represent the family. And that's all a federal headship. But it's very important that we understand the concept of federal headship in order to for us to understand what Paul is about to teach us in these chapters coming up, especially chapter 6, 7, and 8. 
and in Adam, because Adam is our federal head, and he sinned, sin was passed down to all of us. We're all, we all came through Adam. So we're all sinners. We have a sin nature because of Adam's sin. And we're justified in Jesus Christ because he's our federal head of all those who believe the gospel. Now in chapter 6, we're going to learn a couple things in this chapter. Um, we're going to learn uh, that there is life and death is passed through our federal head. And as we read this passage, I want you to notice three things. I want you to notice how many times it talks about death. All the times that he mentions worth death or dying. Life is the second thing I want you to notice. And the third thing is in Christ. Where it talks about being in Christ either by saying Christ or a pronoun or something representing Christ. So notice those three things as we read through this passage. Um, before we read, let me pray. I'm getting all excited and I'm forgetting to do things. So let's pray. Father, again, we thank you that we have the opportunity to worship you today. Father, we ask that you just help us and that you would bless the reading of your word, that we would understand what you're sharing in your word that we need to know as believers in Christ. And Father, we ask that you'd open our hearts and our minds, not only to open our minds and hearts to do it, but give us ears to hear and eyes to see and feet that apply these things to our life. We ask that you change your life today at the hearing of your word. And Father, we just ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Romans chapter 6, verse 1, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein know ye not that as many as are baptized into Jesus into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ we rise we raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also shall walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, 
we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For if he, for in that he died, he died for sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your, your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. So you think Paul has got a message for us in this passage about death and life and being in Christ? I think he does. We break down this book into chapters and verse, but for us to truly understand the flow of Paul's thought, we must understand that the text is to be read continuously. In other words, we start at the beginning and read it all the way to the end. And we see Paul's logical steps of going from one thing to the other. But when they translated the Bible, they added verses and chapters and all that so we could, we could understand it and help us to learn it better. But in that doing that, sometimes we, we take those chapters and verses and it breaks it up for us and we don't get the complete meaning because we're, break, we're looking at it in pieces. But so as I get started in this, I want to back up in chapter 5 and read the last few verses so we understand, get an idea of what Paul is talking about. So look at Romans chapter 5, just go back a page or two in your Bible, and look at verse 18. <clears throat> and it'll help us understand that the reason that Paul is asking these questions at the beginning of chapter 6. He says, Therefore, as by the offense one judgment came upon all men, to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so that by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. This is the federal headship I was talking about in Christ and in Adam. In verse 20, it says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So he's talking about the grace of God abounds more than sin. Okay, so switch out, go back on to verse 1 of chapter 6. 
it'll help you understand why Paul asks this question because Paul anticipates <clears throat> that there's people that's going to object to what God or Paul's gospel is that he's preaching and he's already alluded to that previously in some of these earlier chapters and he's saying that they were sent slanderously accused of preaching that another gospel that we're free to sin as much as we want because grace is going to be much greater than that and there's a false teaching going about and I heard it many times especially when I was younger that all we got to do all a person has to do is you know say a prayer and he's good to go and he's good to go the rest of the life and you don't have to worry about how he lives he can just live like he wants live like the devil and grace is going to be much more than that and he's going to get to heaven anyway and there's a a, a teaching uh, Rasputin brought this teaching out and he says you Christians that don't go out and sin y'all are just missing out on life because you can go out and sin as much as you want then you can just come back and experience more grace just sin as much as you can and the more you sin the more grace that God can give out and we call God to glorify in his grace because he's having to expend so much grace to cover our sin that just makes him more glorious. But look what Paul says about that. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we sin that grace may abound? Verse 2, it says, God forbid. It should never be. No, no, no. And I've read scholars and I've heard preachers say that there's no stronger way to object to someone than to say, God forbid. Or shall it never be? Or no, no, no. How many times, you parents, have you seen your kids fixing to do something that was going to hurt to them? And all you can do is just start shouting, no, no, no. You see them reaching for a hot stove or walking towards the oven when you're trying to take something out of the oven and you got this hot thing in your hand. And here comes your toddler running towards you. And all you can do is shout, no, no, stop. And hopefully they'll stop in time. That's, that's the message that Paul is conveying here. That we can't go out and sin as much as we want so grace can abound. This line of thinking is based on the idea that God 
has to do his part and we have to do our part in salvation. You know, there's an Indian say, I, I don't know if an Indian actually said it, but it's often attributed to an Indian that they'll say that, you know, you have a, you have a good dog and a bad dog or a white dog or a black, black dog inside of you and the white dog represents good and the black dog represents bad. Or there was cartoons when we were kids when they had real cartoons. You had an angel on this shoulder and a, a devil on this shoulder and whichever one you fed is the one that survived. And it's not that way, people. Just as we don't contribute anything to our salvation we don't contribute anything to our sanctification. And you might be asking, then how are we sanctified? Because we're taught that. We were taught that for many years by people in our church that said, you know, you got to go out and you got to suffer and live this holy life. And it's, it's not that way. Just as our, our salvation, all of it was from God, so is our sanctification. Sanctification is all from God. Remember that story uh, that Jesus told to his disciples? Uh, he said it was easier for uh, an a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it was for a rich man to get into heaven. Remember that story? And what did Jesus, the disciples say? Well, who in the world can be saved? And Jesus said, with men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You remember when, in Luke, when it talked about Lazarus and the rich man? And the rich man said to Abraham, he said, Abraham, can you send Lazarus over here with some water so to put my tongue on? What did Abraham say? He said, there's a gulf fixed between us and them that no man can cross. That same thing parallels our salvation. You understand that death and life, unsaved and saved, there's a gulf between there. There's something in between there that we can't walk through. We can't pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and be good enough for salvation. It's like a camel trying to go through the eye of a needle. Can't be done by our own help, by our own help efforts. And it's the same thing with our, our sanctification. It takes a work of God to save us. Completely. 
It's all on him. That's what Romans 5 was talking about. We have peace with God. You know, there's this thing that we have. It's called sin. It's a barrier. It separates us from God. Pastor Doug, if I had my hat on, I'd be taking it off right now. Pastor Doug the other day was talking about me wearing a hat up here. and He said that um, when I get to something really important, I'll flip my hat off. I guarantee you my hat would be flipped off right now if I had it on. So I want you to understand what's going on here. The Bible speaks of it. He says we're dead to sin. You know, you hear preachers sometimes say, well, what can a dead man do? And the only thing you can do is think. Or what can we bring to the table with ourselves for salvation? The only thing we can bring is sin. Because it's our nature. It's our nature. We don't have the power to change our nature. And just to give you a listen to Bodie Bauckham this week, and he gave a really good illustration about how our nature is. And he said, you know about carnivores and herbivores? Cows, cows are herbivores. They eat grass, they eat plants, all they eat. And you might ask the question, well, is meat available for a cow to eat? Yes, it is. A cow could eat meat. But does a cow eat meat? No. He only eats grass. Or she only eats a grass. A bull eats grass too. Cattle, they eat grass. Is it possible for, a, for cattle to eat meat? Yes. Cattle can be out here grazing and there might be a worm or something on the grass while he's eating it and just eat the grass and the worm at the same time. But if he does that, is the, is the cattle going to go out and start seeking worms to eat? No. Still going to eat grass because it's his nature. And that's the same thing with men. The same thing with me, the same thing with you. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman or a boy or a girl. We have that sin nature. And that sin nature is what separates us. That's the thing that we got from Adam. A sin nature. We might be able to turn over a new leaf for a little while and not sin. Or, I should say it better, we might be able to turn over a new leaf and it might appear that we're not sinning. But what does the Bible say 
Hebrews 10, 6 that says, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Dividing asunder joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You see, even though a natural man could go out and do something that may appear good, we don't know what the intention of his heart is. And that's that, where that sin nature, that nature comes in. Because often that nature is doing this good deed to benefit himself. He wants to look good, wants to get his face plastered on the newspaper, he wants a trophy, has some kind of motive or intention in his heart that he's not sharing for this good deed that he seems to be doing. So what do we do? What else, how else can you explain this? Proverbs says that a dog will vomit on the ground and it'll come back to it and eat it up again. I don't know if you've ever had a dog, but if you've had a dog very long, he's gonna do that. And you don't care if you see him doing it. He's gonna, he's gonna eat some grass. Dogs are not herbivores grass and dogs eating it, but it doesn't mix. So when that dog eats the grass, in a couple minutes he's going to vomit it. And a couple minutes after that he's going to go eat it up again. And he does that because it's his nature to do that. What about a hog? Hogs eat slop. You can take a hog and you know, if you go to a the ag show when when all those high schoolers are selling their hogs. You look at them hogs, they're all clean and they got a brush on them and they're brushing that hog, making it look real nice. And they're walking around in that arena showing off that hog and sometimes the judge will throw some sawdust on that hog and the kid's got to see it and start brushing it off so it looks good. But you know what would happen if they took that hog and just put him out in a pasture? He's gonna go waller in the mud somewhere. He's gonna eat whatever's in front of him. It doesn't matter if it's rotten or makes you wanna retch when you come near it. He's just gonna eat it because it's his nature. No amount of grooming can change the nature of a hog. No matter how much you love your dog and think of your dog as one of your children, he's still gonna eat his vomit. It's his nature. start where I'm looking at here. Verse 1, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? 
God forbid. How shall, shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? I'm running way out of time, y'all. <laughs> verse 3, it says, verse 2, there's an important point we need to see in verse 2. How shall we live any longer in sin? We that are saved, how can we live any longer in sin? You know, that statement is a call for the Christian to live a different way. The premise of that question. There's a different way for a Christian to live. And it's a call to holiness. Verse 3, it says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? <coughs> Just as in Adam, our federal head, we die because of his sin and our sin nature, Jesus lived a perfect life and died for sin. Jesus Christ's death for sin is the second Adam. He is the second Adam. He's our federal head in Christ. Uh, his death was for the sins of those who believe. Those in Jesus Christ are baptized into or in his death as our federal head. Baptism is a picture of us being dunked under the water and raised up. And when we're dunked under the water, that represents that's a picture of Christ's death and his burial. And being raised out of that water is a picture of our new life in Christ. One Puritan preacher said that when you get dunked under the water, you stay there for a second and you just feel yourself as being dead. And when you get raised out, that next breath that you take is a death in a new life. A new life. Because you sure can't breathe underwater. So that next breath feels really good. If that preacher's in a bad mood and you hold you underwater too long. Feels good when you come out of that water and you can breathe. Verse 4, therefore, <clears throat> therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, like that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even as we also walk in newness of life. There's another call walking in a new life or as a Christian. Verse 5, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Paul Washer explains that we do not talk about regeneration very much in the church. But that's what has happened 
to a Christian. You know, when we when we began chapter 5, or if you read the book of Romans, and you see all this sin in the first three chapters, and all of a sudden you see that we can be justified, sinners can be justified. You think about that, and you say, okay, Paul is taking a person that's one of these sinners, and he comes to faith in Christ, he puts his faith in Christ, and now he's justified. And he talks about how that faith worked. That faith is not something that saves us. It's not something that we bring to God. And it gives us some kind of brownie points to God that account for something. No, faith is a conduit whereby we're saved. It's that, that's that miracle work that God does to the camel and gets him through that eye of the needle. It's that faith that God can do a mighty work in us. And that regeneration what is that? You know, we saw in chapter 5 that we have a new standing in God. And that happens, these things that Paul's talking about right, right now, happens immediately in the moment of salvation. There's so many things that happen when we're saved. And we don't even realize it. We don't know. So many things. We have peace with God. We have a standing in grace. And we get a new nature. That regenerative work that only God can do, only God can give us a new nature. When we put our faith and trust in Christ, that happens instantly. It happens instantly. And you might be thinking, well, well, can we, when a person is saved, are they made perfect? No, they're not. Every one of us that's a Christian knows in our heart that we still have sin in there. And we say, well, how does this work? How can I battle this sin? Well, we have a great example of that in our Constitution. In our Constitution of the United States, one of the amendments is slaves were freed from their master. And that's what we are. We're just slaves to sin before we come to faith in Christ. We're slaves to sin. That's our sin nature. We can only sin. And you know, in 1865 or 66, when that amendment was passed, there were slaves. There were slaves in the north, there were slaves in the south, there were slaves in the Midwest and the far west. There were slaves everywhere in the United States of America. But when that 
amendment took effect, every one of those slaves were freed from slavery. And the only people that weren't freed from slavery were the people in prison. They'd been convicted of a crime. Those are the only people that are not freed by the constitutional amendment. But you know what? A slave, even though on that day, when that amendment took effect, they were free. Every fiber in their body still thought they were slaves. Because they hadn't realized, their body hadn't realized that they were free. They still thought of themselves as slaves to sin. When you think about Israel coming out of Egypt, that was their difficulty. They kept wanting to go back to Egypt because every fiber in them thought they were still slaves in Egypt. And they were comfortable with that. They had normalized that in their life. I'm a slave. I'm a slave. But the slaves, they, they had to learn. They had to learn what freedom really meant. Some of them may have learned it. Some may not have. But because of how they were, their, their nature is infected by their slavery. And we normalize our sin to the point that we don't even realize it just has infected everything about us. So when a, when a sinner comes to faith in Christ, when a person that's a slave to sin comes to faith in Christ, he doesn't realize the freedom that came instantly. Because every fiber in his being says, I still got to do those things. But when they come to faith in Christ, I heard one old preacher say, God changed my wanter. I don't want to do these things anymore. His buddies called him up and said, let's go get drunk. Well, let's go to that place where we shouldn't be. things don't appeal to him anymore. It's like a, cat, a cattle changing their nature and now he can eat meat. And that's what it is when we come to faith in Christ. Some things are instantly taken from us. You know, you hear stories that you know, I once was a drunk and now I got saved and I don't even want it no more. But other people come to faith in Christ and they struggle with it for a while. But we have to realize that we have freedom not to sin anymore. Just as when we came to faith in Christ, we had to realize that we 
that Christ died for our sin. Another way I've said it a couple times is I heard the gospel a thousand times and I heard it for the first time. I realized what the gospel meant. It's a change in nature in you. And that's what the Christian is. There's a still a struggle of sin. We have to struggle with it. But it's not in our own strength. God has gave us gave us a new nature. And we don't have to do it anymore. And you might say, well, how does that work, Pastor Jim? Well, you resist it. You know, you resist that temptation to go on the internet and look at those pictures that you shouldn't look at. You resist it. You say, you know what? I died to that once. Let me die to it again. And you resist that temptation to look at pornography. And you keep doing that and you do it over and over. It gets easier each time. It gets easier. But it never really goes away. Back a long time, 1992, I think, before that, I used to, before I came to faith in Christ, <clears throat> I chewed tobacco. And I was really bad at it. Because I could chew it and I never had to spit. And I chewed bread, man. I love that stuff. It took me five years to say that I quit that stuff. When I first started, I just got mean as a striped snake. When I first started quit, my wife a couple times went and bought some for me and said, here, I can't deal with you. <laughs> but over time, got to where I didn't want it anymore. But just a few years ago, I mean, I count with all my hands since 1992 when I started that. Just a few years ago, I dreamed that I was chewing tobacco again. And it was so real, I could taste it. I was spitting. And it woke me up out of the sleep. I was what? Wait, what? I haven't done that. I didn't do that. I don't do that anymore. But it's that sin that's still in me that wants to chew tobacco. It's our sin. It's still there. And when I preach to you again, maybe we'll go on and we'll see some more about this. But I just want to leave you with a question. Do you still have that sin nature? Is it still in you? Have you ever turned to, in repentance and faith to Christ to get a new nature? It happened instantly. When God calls you and you, and you repent 
believe you get a new nature. It's a new nature from God. Jeremiah and Ezekiel says, explains it that you take that stony heart, that heart that doesn't care what you do, and God takes it out of you and puts a heart of flesh in there. It's a new nature. It's a new heart. And if you're a Christian here today and you're struggling with sin, just know that you have a new nature. You have a new nature. When you came to faith in Christ, you died to sin. You don't have to continue in it. Father, we thank you. We can't thank you and praise you and honor you and worship you enough for that mighty work that you do in a Christian of giving him a new nature, making him free from sin, free to sin no more. Father, Father, just help us Help us. Help us to realize that miracle of new birth that you've done in our hearts. Giving us a new heart. It wasn't a renovation, Father, but it was a new heart. It was a new life. Father, help us to realize that. And Father, if there are people that's heard your word preached today, Father, we ask that you do that work that only you can do and regenerate them, give them a new heart, save them. And Father, we just thank you. And we ask you to help us. In Jesus' name, amen. for 